Hello, everyone, and welcome to Traffic. This is host Dottie Laster, and we are on Hear Women Talk Radio, produced by the Zeus Radio Network. Thank you so much for joining us again for another episode of Traffic. Today I will start with a rant. I um, have just read this really good article, so I'm, I'm going to rave about this article, and we will put it on our Traffic social site. But it came to my inbox. It's from holdthefrontpage.co.uk. It's a story about um, in London, which is where our first guest will be traveling to soon, where newspapers are, are advertising brothels. They're pretty out front in knowing it. And a very uh, aggressive vice squad detective has teamed up with an investigative reporter and they are suggesting that newspapers, their editors, may be prosecuted for publishing ads for these brothels. So we will make a link available to this story, and I hope you'll chime in. Where does it end? When you take millions, and as we've seen in the United States, these ads can generate millions of dollars every year on places that know they are advertising illegal activities where does the responsibility end? Is it as soon as the money is paid, or is it because they know what they're accepting money for? I think this will be interesting to follow, and I urge you to send your suggestions, comments, and thoughts on this issue. And as my rant is, people, your business people, you're smart, you're not uneducated. If you know you're benefiting from trafficking and forced commercial sex, you are responsible. And our laws are getting stronger and they're getting more uh, adept to the uh, tactics used by traffickers. So I'm sending a warning. It may not be illegal now, but it will be soon. And it is certainly unethical. That's my rant for the day. Love to hear your comments. Well, that brings me to such an honor for me, again, to induce, introduce some of the great people that surround me and working in this field. Um, I'm speaking about Dr. Mary Shuttleworth. I met her many years ago when I was working in Houston, and it seemed like we had known each other forever in the first five minutes. And uh, through the years, many projects we've collaborated on, we've stayed in touch. Uh, the thing is, we're both incredibly busy, so uh, it's very seldom that we get time just to sit down and talk. And that's what we're going to do today. I'm so happy to introduce her to you, our listeners. Uh, Dr. Shuttleworth was born and raised in apartheid South Africa. She saw firsthand the devastating effects of discrimination and the lack of just basic human rights. And if any of you know me long, I say that human trafficking is actually a vacuum, an absolute vacuum of human rights. Early on, Mary realized the importance of education and went on to earn her doctorate in education. She has circled the globe seven times. People, do you understand this? She has literally actually been around the world seven times, visiting more than 70 countries to promote human rights education. She has led human trafficking conferences in the USA. Some of those pictures are on our traffic social site and abroad to help raise awareness on this issue and has produced many human rights education materials for schools 
and youth groups. Welcome, Mary. Wow, Jackie, that's a wonderful introduction. Thank you. And it's so wonderful to be on your show. I have such great admiration for what you've been doing over the years to raise awareness and um, combat human trafficking. Well, thank you. We've been a good team many times, and, uh, um, you know, there's still work to do, but I feel like we're making progress. I know we're making progress. <laughs> with with the, the increase of the, you know, the laws and uh, the, the increase of awareness that we see on TV. I mean, uh, when we got started, when I got started in 2003, I had no clue that slavery was still in existence. In fact, you know, I went to a conference and somebody actually talked about this in 2003. And, you know, coming from South Africa, I, I said to myself... You know, with all due respect, slavery has ended. It's ended in, in, uh, in South Africa. It's ended in, in the U.S. It's ended in England. I mean, it's ended. You know, so what is she talking about? But I got home and I was so disturbed by even the fact that she brought it up and um, even the fact that it's a possibility that I literally spent the next two days researching on the Internet to find out, is, is this true? Is this real? Could it possibly still be that way, and um, sadly, yeah, the, the statistics were staggering, and that's what you know what, what um, got me started. And then I met you very soon after that. So, you know, this is um, the what you see on the internet, what you see on in uh, on TV, what you see in our, even in our day-to-day movies. They're starting to run stories of this. They're starting to raise more awareness of this. So, yeah, I think we've made huge impact. Well, you're right, and I appreciate that point because, um, you know, when we were starting, I started in 2003 also working on this issue. If we knew but no one else knew, we weren't effective. We had to have help. And, uh, you know, one of the things you did to help is, and I remember this, I tried so hard to get there, but you held a human trafficking conference in Ghana in 2005. That's right. That's right. That is actually, um, that was a very precious moment for me. Um, Ghana, um, I visited Ghana with my son in 2004 on our first world tour. And um, I actually visited the Cape Coast Castle. The Cape Coast Castle is one of the holding places where the slaves were brought uh, and then held for the ships to go to the Americas and Europe. And, um, you know, it was devastating walking through those halls for me uh, in 2004. But what was more devastating was that it was standing there in Ghana being preserved as a museum. And that's what made my heart bleed. That's what really said. I, I said, I have to come back here and I have to hold a human trafficking conference right here at Cape Coast Castle because I want the people to know that this is not a history lesson. This is not ended. That now 1.2 million children are being trafficked globally. It's gone from a, uh, a condoned um, activity of slavery. It, it's simply gone underground and has just... It's gone global. It's huge. There's no single country in the world that's not involved in some capacity. 
And it was very important for me to hold that conference and, and really raise awareness that, no, slavery has not ended. It just has a very, very different and even more vicious face. Yes, and then you move forward. And in fact, when I was in uh, Los Angeles, we had a global peace conference, which you uh, um, hosted, and we actually were able to have a former president from Ghana, Jerry Rawlings, speak. And it was so amazing how much you had done and how it was coming full circle. That's right. Well, you know, uh, honestly, I feel that this is a world with so many good people, and that's really what's encouraging. That's really what keeps me working, keeps me going, because really when the word is out there, more and more really good people say, not in my lifetime, this is not going to happen while in, in my watch, you know. And so that's what's exciting, is that the people that come on board, the caliber of people that come on board and are willing to raise their voices and say, no, it's slavery has it ended, and it will end for for good. I agree, and it's it's uh, that beginning, that attitude that makes changes and and saves lives. Now let's move forward. You actually had a conference this year in South Africa. That's correct. Um, you know, it was very exciting times. I went just before the uh, big FIFA World Games uh, in South Africa, and wow, those were exciting days. Everybody getting ready, the roads being, you know, repaved and uh, all sorts of infrastructure being put in place and secured to to prepare for this. One of the things was that um, the ugly head of the human trafficking was was rearing its head, you know. And um, so at the university um, in in South Africa, we, we had a conference to raise awareness of, uh, it was a very interesting debate because the one side of the debate was should we, and that goes back to what you said earlier in the radio show, should we or shouldn't we legalize prostitution? That was one of the one of the questions being raised, right? And then, um, of course, I was coming in with a very strong, um, excuse me, human trafficking, and you better be aware because with the games come additional people and come people who want to feed off of that uh, in a negative and, and inhuman way. So it was a very, very uh, heated debate and a very uh, interesting interaction between should we legalize prostitution as opposed to should we just end human trafficking right now? Um, so it was very exciting. Well, we're going to move forward and take a break, but I wanted to come back to that in just a moment because I think that is an interesting uh, discussion, and I think it may be, um, if we could help reframe it correctly, it would be a good one to have. So this is, please stay with us. This is Dottie. We're going to take a break, and we will be right back with Dr. Mary Shuttleworth. Welcome back, everyone, to Trafficked on Hear Women Talk, produced by the Zeus Radio Network. We were speaking with uh, Dr. Mary Shuttleworth about human rights and the efforts she's made around the world and the, the progress that we've seen. We uh, then ventured into speaking about um, the debate or the, whether legalizing prostitution would therefore end human trafficking. And what I wanted to touch on is I've... I've 
from the beginning heard that argument and in 2003 I, I didn't quite know where I stood on that so I did a lot of research spoke to a lot of people and read many very good scholarly papers and what I've come to the conclusion of especially based on a 2008 report from the State Department is that where you have legalized prostitution you tend to have increase in trafficking simply because the demand for commercial sex outweighs the willing participants. And so if we could reframe that debate, so it wasn't that legalizing prostitution ends human trafficking, but if we could discuss prostitution in an educated and enlightened way, we might find a way to uh, to answer this question. And so that was Mary. Mary was talking about that ongoing debate when she was in South Africa. So Mary, what are your thoughts? Um, I completely agree. Uh, it does need to be looked at. How do you, how, how do you tackle this problem? Because there's, it is so multifaceted. The whole of human trafficking is so multifaceted. There are so many uh, nuances, and it, it's just not a, a, a an A and B uh, situation. You know, there's so many factors involved, and it's the same with pr prostitution. I mean. I can I could totally see this this very this brilliant student really who was putting the case forward saying that if we legalize prostitution it makes it possible to regulate in some way to make sure of of, of health checkups and you know things like that to, to you know and and she was really putting a very strong argument forward she'd obviously you know really looked at it um so it it is um, yeah it's still an, an incomplete debate that we definitely do need to pursue and and um, we need to come to some resolve on it you know yes uh, one of the the quick phrases I often say is especially the United States need an edu needs a widespread educated discussion on prostitution because you will see a lot of times that it's considered like pretty woman, a victimless crime. In fact, when you work within it, you see there's many victims, not just the victim that you and I are talking about, but many families and loved ones and and neighborhoods that are destroyed due to this. So for another show, but I hope we can uh, enlighten some um, people to go out and discuss this and, and get educated on it. Yes, let's have a conference. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, speaking of a conference, I believe you uh, this year were in Geneva at a summit. Can you tell us about that? Well, yes. You know, I, uh, I'm passionate about education. And for all the wrongs in the world, I do believe that, um, and believe me, there's wrong everywhere in the world um, and lots of good, but... Um, I really believe in education, and I really believe in the youth. So um, once a year, what we've done is we've uh, had an international summit um, bringing 30 youth from around the world together. Um, they've never met each other before to discuss human rights issues in their country and to discuss human rights education and the role of, of basically knowing what one's rights are and even more importantly, knowing what one's responsibilities are. Because, you know, um, often people think in terms of it's my right, it's my right. But um, if you don't take responsibility, then the whole thing basically lopsides and, and, you know, it just becomes somehow another abuse in some quarter. 
So, um, yeah, I'd like to actually share um, a, a little analogy on that, if I may. Um, sure. To me, human rights are like a bicycle wheel, where you have um, basically 30 human rights. They're set out by the United Nations Universal Declaration of Human Rights. Um, and you have 29 of those rights that form the spokes to the wheel. The right to an education, the right to a nationality, freedom to move, freedom to speak, um, freedom of thought, um, and so on and so on. No slavery. And no slavery is one That's of them. Exactly. No torture. No torture is one of them, and so on. So they create those spokes of the wheel. But in the middle of that wheel is a cog that holds all those spokes together, and that is Article 29 of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, which is responsibility and our responsibilities towards others and their human rights. Uh, for example, you know, youth have the right to an education, but if they're sitting in school and they're not paying attention, they're not doing their work, they're not really taking this, these lessons to heart and, and consider them and challenge them and learn them and, you know, so on, um, they will lose that education, not because somebody took it away, but because they didn't take responsibility. And that's what every single one of the human rights are like that. And that includes slavery. That includes these things because we do have to take responsibility beforehand. We do have to have an educated public that says, you know, you actually can't hold me here. I have the right to actually leave this place. I have the right to um, have uh, legal interaction here, you know. And, and people need to know that. They need and to that comes that. back to what I started with saying, you know, in 2003, when you and I knew about trafficking, and other people did, but not so many, we weren't able to be effective because, you know, we did help a few, but I'm saying is that if no one else, you know, it's a group, it's a social effort, you can't do it alone, and that's where responsibility comes in, I believe. Exactly. Absolutely correct. So it's responsibility, responsibility, responsibility. What can I do? Even if it's a small thing, even if you can tell your neighbor, you know, um, even if you can only influence the kids that are around you, you don't know which one of them might end up uh, in a trafficking ring. I mean, you know, trafficking does not always go into areas of... of um, uh, desperate situations there sometimes... Um, you know, youth are lured or um, kids are lured by by more attractive offers. And um, by the way, if if you think it's too good to be true, it probably is <laughs> too good to be true. <laughs> so, That's um, it. And it's also, you know, disguised. It's, it's not uh, the traffickers don't go in and say, I'm going to rape you, torture you, beat you, lock in a closet and starve you. Okay, let's go. They come no. in very seductive. They know exactly what to say to either parents or children or individuals. So, um, again, um, that responsibility and education and awareness, it's, it's got to start there. And then, um, and then we still have a battle on beyond that. Exactly. I mean, one of the instances of human trafficking is a fashion. I mean, not a fashion show, a beauty model contest is set up, you know, and then these beautiful girls come forward thinking that they're, that they're participating in this contest, 
you know, for a possible job overseas. And so who's going to show up there? The beautiful, you know, um, girls, you know, and they don't have any clue who's really looking at them. And how good for the them. traffickers, right? I mean, what a good business model. <laughs> they get exactly what they want. Exactly. So we have to reach absolutely every youth and let them know you have human rights. You have 30 human rights, and they are... Those human rights are yours all the way around the world, and you need to make very sure everybody around you knows about them, you know. So, um, anyway. And one other thing is that came up was not being believed, um, and I think that your basis of education on human rights and what they are really would help you if they do find themselves in this situation because many times the victims are not believed, and... Um, and um, they have to advocate for themselves, yet many are unable to. So if you can start in the beginning showing them how to advocate, sadly, for themselves, um, that's the first step at just opening a tiny hope that they can be rescued. Exactly. Or even the confidence that they have the right to escape. You know, the confidence that, no, I I can leave. The, you know, I, I do have rights. I do, I do need to reach the, the officials, you know, uh, just that confidence within themselves um, will, will spur them, will make them run, will make them look at how can I get out of this. Yes, and, um, you know, and, and, and that they do have the, uh, the right to get out. Um, a lot of times victims, you know, that haven't had any human rights education. One example I'll give is a woman in North, uh, she was from Vietnam, and when I explained um, through, she wouldn't take our help, and she wasn't, you know, she was like, no, no, I'm okay. Well, what I found out is she thought that we personally would be attacked by our government, and she was protecting us. She thought we would be hurt. And when I explained human rights in the United States, and she said, but I'm here illegally. And when I explained that any human in the United States has rights, she began to cry. And she said, I've never known a government that had that I don't I didn't know what that meant and it's so beautiful and I was never so proud of what I do as when I saw her understanding human rights and I did actually give her one of your videos and she learned more and more about them so can you tell us about your videos and your education oh, yes. packages yes I'd be happy to do that uh, well let's just back up and say um, sh uh, your uh, you know all the listeners should go to the website our website www.youthforhumanrights.org. you type it just like you say it youthforhumanrights.org. Uh, watch the videos we've depicted each of the 30 human rights in very very easy to understand little videos uh, very short, 30 seconds, 60 seconds, so it's very quick to learn. Um, right now, we're really excited because uh, we're offering a free copy of our Youth for Human Rights information packages. You can get it right on our website. It's free of charge. Um, and, and what's really exciting right now because of a generous donation we received, um, we've got, edu we've got uh, educators, any educator in the world can go on our website and um, order an educator's pack. That includes lesson plans. It includes posters, one poster for each of the 30 human rights. Um, the teacher will get um, 25 copies of the booklets. In other words, they can hand it out to the students. 
um, you know, during the lesson. And then, as I said, also the actual lesson plans very clearly set out for the teachers. So those, and it's completely free to any educator anywhere in the world. It includes postage, but it is a limited uh, offer. So I urge educators to, you know, order their packages right away. So again, um, you know, by going to our website, you, you'll get so much information about um, how to teach human rights, how to teach it, you know, how to learn it, and how to teach it um, very simply. Um, that is amazing. So every educator that can hear this, that has access to the internet, can um, can get these materials and share them with their students. Absolutely, absolutely, it's completely free of charge. And each of the lessons take about one hour because we surveyed uh, educators in many different um, uh, situations, uh, whether it was schools or um, like Sunday schools or. Uh, youth groups, on average, the, the mentors, the educators said that they had the students for about one hour. So we made each of the lessons less than one hour. So it's complete. You start at the beginning and do it, and it's all for free. And um, let's protect those kids. You know, let's teach them about their human rights and responsibilities <laughs> um, long before they, they need it. That is wonderful. And just again, just to make sure people heard, it's youthforhumanrights.org Dr. Mary Shuttleworth thank you so much thank you very much Dottie I appreciate what you're doing you're amazing and uh, uh, congratulations on your show well thank you we are going to go to a quick break and move to our next guest John Hurd amazing story about helping people in low income housing and providing a safe community this is Dottie Laster for Hear Woman Talk. Welcome back, everyone. This is Dottie Laster on Trafficked. Um, we are we have just left uh, Mary Shuttleworth, who was talking about human rights, responsibility and youth who are just changing the world in many ways. And now we're moving forward to a wonderful man that I've had the pleasure of working with. Um, his name is John Hurd. He owns properties around the United States, and he has a really innovative way and plan and perspective about how come you should be safe in low-income housing and all the levels of crime and schemes that actually surround these low-income properties and one of those side effects is the prostitution of a middle school aged girl. And so we're going to, in a quick time, try to try to unpeel this uh, layers of stories for you. So welcome, John. Thank you for being here. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. Well, um, you and I have worked together and um, made a uh, film, actually, about your project, and can you tell us a little bit about it? Well, you know, it started with an idea that we, as we were driving through inner cities, uh, Mary and I, we travel the country quite a bit. We do a lot of property investment and, and working with people and, and stuff along that line. But we kept noticing that, you know, of course, and I think everyone knows this, that the less income or the smaller income you have or the less money you have, the less and 
the worst living conditions that you deal with, a lot of people say, well, yeah, if I had more money, I'd have a better house. But that's not the point. The point is safety. Is there, if just because you only make $5,000 a year or $20,000 a year, is your rights to a safe living condition any different than the person that makes $100,000 a year? And I really think that that, that lack of safety, that is what's perpetuating the the poverty level that we have or you know you can you can live on a small amount of money and live clean and healthy and happy lives you don't have to have a hundred thousand dollars a year to have a happy life you just have to have safe conditions and so that's what my idea came to is that you know if i'm going to have a community in an inner city project or in a really low income project they're not all inner city uh, we need to be able to create a safe place. And my belief is that if it's safe, people do better. They come home and they can sit on the front porch, they can talk to their neighbors, they don't have to worry about somebody shooting, robbing, stealing from them. They just live better. Their mind is clear. They don't have that fear, that looking over their shoulder all the time. And so that's what we're, the basis is what we're trying to do is create that. And it's grown unbelievably since then into into why are they here and is it you know our ideas first was well because of the drug culture and because of alcohol and because of this and that and anything along that line and now it's starting to as we film it and you know Dottie and I we've both filmed a lot of this uh, as far as the living conditions and why and what goes on inside of these uh, low-income housing additions uh, complexes but what we're starting to find out is what is holding them into this place. Why don't they ever climb out of it? You know, a lot of people will obviously say, well, it's because they're, you know, inundated with all kinds of legal and illegal drugs, and that keeps their minds from flowing correctly, and, and they don't think straight, and so they don't better their lives. But why would a person choose drugs over going out and getting a job and working every day and feeling good about their lives? And that's what we all. That's how this thing is elevated to a new look at it. We have to figure out, okay, what is suppressing this group of people, which is a large group of people. It's not like two or three percent of the population. It's a large group of the population, and we're, we've uncovered a lot of those situations of what is doing it. And a lot of it is what we're finding. And, and, and I know this is a little off from what the prostitution situations are, but this is really what holds a lot of women or in men into prostitution is that they have to be able to face the life that they have. And when it's not affordable to do, you either find a way to live financially by prostituting or some along that line, or you can't face it at all, so you just stay drunk and drugged up all the time. One of the two, or, or both, in a lot of conditions. So we have to unravel why these places are being held that way and i think we have that and i and unfortunately i can't go completely into it because we have litigation involving that on some other levels right now and i think one thing that's interesting to point out is a lot of these low-income places um are not actually that inexpensive and the model around them i mean they're actually paying a pretty good amount they're disenfranchised as much as they are impoverished and the other thing is that they these these um um, properties aren't meant to ever be paid off. Um, they should be, but it, it seems to be like they keep getting more expensive because more financing is given, but not necessarily to to create a better property. Is is that 
a good summary? Yeah, well, and, and let me expand on that because you're exactly in where we're at. That's the level we're working at right now and looking and really a very, very hard look at is that why if the rent in, in these low-income housings is the same as it is in the suburbs, and, and how can that be? And a lot of it is lending practices. And unfortunately, some lenders don't practice the same level of um, of lending on all aspects. If you're going to go tomorrow and buy a home, and this number could be a little bit off either way, but 45% of your debt to income ratio is how they qualify uh, you to buy a house. So if you make $100 and you can only pay $45 a month in for your house, on your house payment, well, if you take that over into a, an apartment complex and you, you work that backwards, first you have to find what is the neighborhood's income? What is the average income for that neighborhood? Now, because if, if you go into any city, you can't just say, okay, what is the average income of all of Houston? Because it, it jumps up and down all over the place, and it would throw that all off. It, so you have to focus down to this to a community. And if you work with a community, you say, okay, well, let's just take this one that we're working with in, in Houston. Right now, to the best of my knowledge, what I find is about $1,286, which I know it's gone down to real simple terms, but $1,280, let's say, is the is the average income for the neighborhood. So if you take 45% of that, that's $512 is what their rents should be a month for them to be able to have a healthy life according to how the lenders set up mortgages in the first place. So when you take the values that have been placed on this property or some of these other properties at three times that, it puts that rent up to $800 a month for the property to cash flow. And if a investor is going to come in to buy a property, he's got to make it cash flow, or why would he do it? Why would anybody do it? I mean, the government, nobody is going to do it if it's upside down. So it has to be able to fit value-wise into what the community will support. And unfortunately, a lot of times in the appraisal business, they can't find something in that area to appraise to match up to it. Uh, there's some other reasons in that, too, that I'm not going to go into, but they're so they expand out, and they don't have that ability, or, or maybe they're not even called to do it, to find out what the level of income is in the area where they're using this other comparable property to put value to this first one. And so you end up with values that are way out of, of reason. So somewhere along the line, we have to change the way we value these type of properties so that the rent becomes more affordable and people can live more comfortably within their income and not have to go out and do crazy things to create more income or do crazy things because they can't confront the fact they can't pay their rent. And that, and to me, is what we've ran into is is, uh, is what's holding people into this low income that they're in. And what we did is, is try to um, document this in a film to show what the life is, what the problem is, and where the many levels um, kind of of, of um, parasites off the most poor and most disenfranchised are actually making their money. Um, whether it's down the road, the person selling the many orders, there's a scheme there that's not above board, all the way up to, as you describe, um, unreasonable financing. So as you try, you know, as you came in and tried to turn this property around, it was actually a... Uh, <laughs> it stirred up kind of a hornet's nest, didn't it? 
Well, yeah, to say the very least, because it didn't, what we thought we'd see is, you know, well, the problem is the drug problems, and we just educate the people out of their drug problems and, and help them figure out how to handle their financing that they have, and, hey, we're going to be okay. But when we realized that there wasn't a step in any of these people's lives that wasn't somehow uh, being suppressed and they were in, in a constant turmoil with it, and it went all the way to, to the very, very top, then it became confusing for us on how do we handle this. And so as we started documenting and going back over the, all the document trails from our first stop uh, or step into the into the uh, purchase of it, then it all started kind of unraveling as who's doing what, and then we obviously became under attack by those people, and now it's turned into a, uh, let's cover this up, let's not talk about it, this is not the way it is, because I think it goes back to the basic roots of every community across the whole country and how all the lending practices are affecting our world today. Let's stop right there. We're going to take a break. We're going to take a break, and we're going to pick up right there. This is Dottie Loster on Traffic. Welcome, welcome back to Trafficked on Hear Women Talk, produced and broadcast by the Zeus Radio Network. We are speaking with John Hurd. He has uh, purchased many properties around the United States. Uh, we are talking about low-income housing and what is behind making these properties so expensive, making the people living in them so marginalized and unable to just have a safe, um, place to call home, to lay down at night and not be in fear, and to get up in the morning and uh, have a productive day. It's not just one thing. And so we were talking about the layers of crime surrounding these properties. And it goes all the way from someone on the corner, uh, the drug dealer, to, to prostitution, to money order schemes, all the way up to lending schemes. So, John, we were just about to talk about the bank. Can you tell me who the bank is, how you got into this? <laughs> no, I'm sorry. This is something, at this time, I can't talk about if it's a bank or wasn't a bank or what bank it was. Uh, maybe later, but right now, no, that's not something that I can discuss. But it does, I think, in my belief, have a lot to do with lending practices. And, and you know, I, you can't blame it all on the lender. I mean, there's a lot of people out there trying to make money at this, too, and so... They're trying to sell their property for more, and so they're trying to figure out ways to get the rents up. And it goes a lot. It goes both ways somewhat, but it really does fall back to when I purchase a piece of property and I have borrowed money, whichever way I borrowed it, the largest chunk of that income, and sometimes 80, 85, 90%, in some cases 100% of the income and very tiny bit stays in, all goes to whoever the lender is. And so while everyone and all the court systems and, and everything around the country kind of points at landlords as the problem, it's not really. I mean, we're working in a project right now where it's a million-dollar project, but the actual owner gets $2,800 a month. Now, when you think about a million-dollar spending and the return is $2,800 a month to him, it doesn't sound too uh, lucrative. And really, because of some things that we found out, that weren't clear is why, or weren't given to us uh, as um, the truth, is why that amount is lower than what it should be. But, on the other hand, the lender is getting $8,000 a month. 
And if 15% of the, of the tenants move out tomorrow, the lender still gets their percentage no matter what. But that owner, the guy that really put himself out there on the hook and put his own hard-earned money in to, to help buy the place, he's the one that's going to take the hit. So maybe he's making $2,800 this month. Next month he may make minus $400. But the lender still gets his money. So if you and really so, want to look at go ahead. Uh, so to bring it back down so that it's, it's kind of uh, packageable, when someone is leasing that apartment, they're signing that they're going to pay the mortgage, and the owner is in between that renter and the bank. But when the bank has loaned on this money, so it does not reflect what is is reasonable in the community, you have a very, very poor person, impoverished, who is marginalized in many ways, paying a similar rent to someone who's living in a safe housing area with, you know, like you said, in the suburbs with a nice um, um, community to live in. So it's not about the money for the individual, although that's part of the problem. The real problem is the disenfranchisement and the not protecting of these properties. And it becomes so far removed from that little girl who's trying to live safe, who's actually become a money source, that it's in, in coming in, that's why I was first called, is because apparently there was a trafficking victim there, and yet in getting to her and getting this safe and protecting this community, there's so many, many interests in the way that while we have been able to affect some, some arrest and some change, that minor is still at risk. Uh, absolutely, and until there's some kind of adjustment where some people can live within the means that are available to them in their community, it's always going to have problems. There, I don't see a way out of it, and it's really bizarre that this would be the problem because all we've been, as as citizens, have all been led down this idea that it's crime that's the problem, it's drugs that's the problem, it's alcohol, it's prostitution. I'm not so certain that that's not the byproduct of the problem. And, and I could yeah, be crazy. I'm to, not an expert. It's, it's easy to blame the people that live there, but in fact, we've met a lot of them, and um, they actually are not the problem themselves. The problem is surrounding them. Yeah, and I mean, they have their problems, and, but if you got hit with a 2 by 4 20 times a day, every day for all your life, you would start looking at the world a little differently. And that's what these people go through. You can compare it to that. Now, this story was actually on uh, KHO News in Houston, and one of the um, residents was interviewed for that. He asked that his identity not be shown because he was very, very nervous about speaking out. And yet he was the most respectful, nice gentleman, pays his rent on time. But what got to me is he said, you know, he trusted and believed in you and your wife because he said, I have no place else to go. It has to work. And that really got to me. Well, it's got to me, too. And unfortunately, we're, we're in a fight here, and we're not certain if we are going to be able to complete this. We are up against some real criminal elements that are affecting us even as we speak today. We have a large team that's out uh, assembling documents and doing all kinds of things here to try to to stop that. Uh, I don't know. You know, it, this is a real battle that has grown and escalated into something that's 
uh, um, it's going to be difficult. It's hard. We're out money and out man, and you know, I'm just a guy. You know, it's just, uh, and we're just working at it. But we're up against a really, really, really powerful, big money person thing. Stuff I can't go. I don't want to say. I can't say <laughs> what it really is, but it's big. But he and is. It, and it's breathing down my back. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, we need this film, and we've got it on. Uh, we've got it online. Um, can we make it available to our listeners and our social? Uh, we have a social group here, and they can learn more about you and what you're doing, and, and understand the vision you have. Oh, absolutely! Or they can go to johnherd.com. That's H-U-R-D. If herd isn't spelled, that's johnherd.com. I've got it there on the top of the page too, and give you a little background on me and what we do in housing across the country. And so your vision is that um, that this could be a model that's implemented through other um, low-income housing, meaning that the property is valued correctly, that the apartment owner, manage, management, and um, residents communicate together in keeping this community safe and, and reasonable so that they can afford it and that they can come and have the same dreams that you and I have for our children. Yeah, and I have a plan in place, and that's our next movie, is, is the step-by-step of how to change this without crashing our, our economy. And there is a very simple way of, of changing the lending practices, and it has nothing to do with the present lenders. It has to do with a different type of lending, which makes more money and is just as secure as any others, but I can't go into that yet until we get the first battle done. But it will, and I'll have that on my website, and we will have film footage and, and a complete discussion on that in the near future. So, you know, this is really optimistic and an amazing way to, um, you know, not just change individuals, which we're working on and have done so, but to change a community. And the thing about your property is the reason I was able to get it on the news so easily is because that news reporter lives just down the road, and he realized immediately that this property is is affecting his housing and affecting his values, and it was too close to home, along with some other media folks that live in the area. Um, It was like night and day. This place was only a, a, a short distance from their homes, and yet it was night and day in both uh, um, it felt like changing into another country, and it was only a couple miles. It is a different country. I mean, it really is. The, there isn't anything that would, would make it similar to a different to another community. They're, they have a completely different way of view, a different viewpoint, a different way of looking at things than any other communities right around it, just simply because of the environment that they're in. And so my hope is now we are continuing to attempt to uh, get um, law enforcement and other folks focused on this young girl. And amazingly, it has been difficult because they've been able to prosecute some pretty easy crimes, but this is difficult um, to catch. And I feel like, you know, that that is the beginning of when we made change is when we can protect the children. We've got to protect the children. There's no doubt about that. But as I said before, we don't need more police. We need less criminals. And that, and how you do that is create an environment that's safe for people to live in, no matter what their income is, and they will be less likely to grow up to be criminals. They ju- it just won't happen. And, and, and on the scale that we're at now, you know, I mean, you can't really blame the police force 
for anything. They're overwhelmed, and there's nobody that I know of, that's not, I mean, with your group, but I mean on a mass, big, gigantic scale that's going in and teaching people how not to be criminals and how to be safe and how to rebuild their lives. They just, you know, are just teaching them, oh, well, if you got problems here, here's a check for this and here's a check for that, and not teaching them how to actually be empowered and how to make their own life and be happy. It just it doesn't exist as we speak. Well, I want to thank you so much, and we'll make our film available, and I'll direct people to johnherd.com. And this is an ongoing project, and I look forward to seeing how it turns out. And I'm really thankful to be a part of it. It's it's been uh, it's been quite uh, quite amazing. Um, so I really thank our listeners, and I thank you, John. Any closing thoughts? Nope. Let's just keep working. That's all we can do. Try to help somebody have a better day. That's how I do it. So we're going to just unleash those smiles and keep moving forward. And uh, I hope we can bring that second portion of the film to our listeners soon. This is Dottie Laster for Traffic. Thank you so much. We have had a wonderful discussion today, both about human rights globally and about real problems here in the United States. And uh, we look forward to having you join us again next week on Trafficked at Hear Women Talk, produced by the Zeus Radio Network.